This is Ryan and Victoria here. You're listening to Needed Conversations. On today's episode, we're rounding out our series talking about politics. I know it's been a lot. Kind of everybody is through with politics. Mm -hmm. And really, we are too, at least for the minute. Um, But you want to stick around for today's episode because we're going to be covering the two hottest topics that most voters are interested in right now, according to um, polls, which is the economy and law and order. You're going to get our take on this needed conversation. So stay tuned. Well, we've officially reached 30 episodes Mm -hmm. of this podcast. Can you believe we've come this far already? Yeah, and I just turned 30, so it's kind of ironic that we're on the 30th episode and uh, I'm I'm 30 now. You had a really nice birthday. It was awesome. It was incredible. Tell tell the people what your husband bought you. Oh, I have to brag on my husband. Um, He bought me an espresso machine, which (laughs) I have like this love-hate relationship with coffee because I actually just enjoy it for taste. Uh, but it does get a little addicting to where it starts draining you. So it gives you energy for a long time and then it starts draining you. So I have to go on the detox. So he get he got me an espresso machine. But I can tell you, the coffee that it makes is a, makes a big difference. <laughs> so I'm very grateful. Yeah, it was a great birthday. So I thank, thank you. Well, happy thir- welcome to the 30s. Welcome to the 30s. I've been a here new for decade. A couple, I've been here for a couple years now myself. 30s is treating me rather well. But, you know, uh, we are in the heat of election season in the United States of America. Uh, we know there's people who listen to this uh, from other countries as well. So, uh, But the world seems to have its eye on the U.S. when it comes to elections, too, oh, yeah, because we're, we are a powerful nation. And the direction of our country, really, um, we plow the way for other countries in, in many ways. But uh, we've been in this kind of political vein with our podcasts for a while. And it's a good thing uh, because so many voters are uneducated. And I like every political election season uh, to do the research. And now Mm -hmm. with having a podcast, I thought it would be great to be able to study with everybody out there, all of our listeners. And hopefully we've been able to give you a lot of good information to chew on as you go to the, the ballot box Um, And to know, especially as Christians, that we aren't one issue voters. I saw something on Facebook the other day that, you know, again, kind of labels Christians as one thing, especially conservative Mm -hmm. political people um, as we're one issue voters, meaning abortion is really the only issue that we're concerned about. Now, I have to say it's up there. It's high on the totem pole, if not number one in terms of its importance. But that doesn't mean we aren't concerned and we aren't involved in all of the other issues that affect our country. Right. And so we've been, you know, breaking down all of these different topics. And now we've come to what is in this election cycle, the top two issues that voters are concerned about. That is law and order and the economy. So where do you want to start? I think we should start with law and order, you know, with all of this uh, social unrest that we have here in the United States that, you know, people screaming out for justice. And I think that, you know, uh, Peaceful protesting is definitely a right that we have. Yeah. And that's, um, you know, it's a beautiful thing that we have in this country. That's another standout, I think, that the United States of America has because a lot of countries, you know, speaking from coming from a different country, they don't have that say. Like if you get out and try to protest, you will you will be shut down. Murdered. Or murdered or yeah. hurt really badly. And there's no way to, you know, try to seek justice in that matter. But and protesting is a part of our American, yeah. you know, value system that we're able to let our voice be heard and, you know, push for those in leadership to make better decisions mm-hmm. and to create legislation that yeah. um, benefits us all. Right, right. Well, which I mean is understandable because people are seeing, you know, the injustices that we uh, were having, you know, uh, with police brutality, and you know, it does lead to the race conversation that a yeah. lot of people don't want to talk about because, you know, that that's what has been in d- on display. Not to say that it hasn't been, you know, different other races that have hasn't haven't been affected. But I think it's all important for us to bring to the table, and I definitely believe that we should you know, bring it to our attention, but not only whenever the media, uh, you know, turns on this 
thing and makes us angry. But, um, you know, if it's an important issue for us that we should have it at all times, like on the back of our minds, always, you know, making sure that we educate uh, people around us, mm -hmm. you know, what we personally go through. Um, yeah, but law and order is very important. I think that we need to support our police and we need to, you know, keep those accountable who are, you know, corrupt. Um, but those boundaries have to, you know, be be set and we need to have uh, those things set in place, uh, which is law and order. So, I'd, I mean, we personally yeah. don't believe in defunding the police, you know. And I think that there was this really big misunderstanding about that phrase in general. But at the same time, I think it, there was not a misunderstanding. And let me explain it this way. The, the reason law and order has become like the number one issue and Trump has really become kind of that's his, you know, mm -hmm. campaign speech on the stump now is that, you know, I'm the law and order president, which is really a throwback to, Rick, you know, Richard Nixon, mm -hmm. um, who campaigned on that and won with that messaging. And there's some negative connotations associated with that as well, which we won't get into. But now Trump has taken on this same uh, campaign spiel uh, about law and order. And it's because the radical sides of the Democrat Party called for the defunding of police in response to, um, you know, all of the video footage that came out about, you know, over the years mm -hmm. in regards to several um, p black people, black males in particular, uh, who were uh, mistreated by police. Um, and, you know, seeing all this video footage heightens our emotions, you know. Mm -hmm. um, but, of course, we wouldn't all see it if the media didn't promote it. Right. I'm not saying it's not a good thing that we're seeing it, but it's always within the election cycle that these same issues start being raised. And mm -hmm. I wouldn't find it surprising that after the election in January, we probably won't hear about Black Lives Matter for about another three years. And then it'll rile up again. And it's, um, you know, it's an understanding of identity politics, which I think erodes at the democracy. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I feel that a lot of times both Republicans and Democrats, they're pandering to people based mm -hmm. on their, you know, skin color or their religion or whatever. And we have to weed through all of the masks and say, what are you actually going to do to make our lives better here at ground level? Instead of just giving us words, as my wife always says, you know, I don't want just words. I want action. Mm -hmm. This is what we should demand. And th that we also demand that the conversation continues after voting is over with. Right. And so this has become a, a, a really heavy topic because people on the far, far left actually want to defund the police, mm -hmm. actually want to take money out of the police force. And in many cases, they want to burn the system down to the ground and start over with a different idea. Um, many of the ideas which have been proposed have have been tested in other air countries and it, it just doesn't work when it comes to even community policing um but then adding social workers to police officers which i think is a great idea but i think our social uh, our mental health system right now is uh, underfunded and under you know if anything to me i think that the police would need to be even more funded mm -hmm. in order to make things better and to get rid of the corruption, shake that out of the system, as well as, you know, make sure that our police officers are supported in their mental health so that when they go into this, uh, uh, these dangerous situations that they aren't just, you know, shooting off of the hip or pulling on based on their emotions or past experiences, but they're thinking rationally and they're wise and they're actually protecting our communities. Um, so there are actual people who want to defund. And then I felt as if when that conversation became illuminated, that then there were this group of mo more model moderate Democrats who began to say, wait a minute, you know, defunding the police doesn't necessarily mean taking money away, but reallocating the money or restructuring the system. 
And um, I think that was kind of like a, we need to save this because the vast majority of the country does not want the police to be funded. Um, there was a lot of interviews. Defunded. Uh, defunded, yeah. Right. There was a lot of interviews in the inner cities and they were filming people who live in um, urban metropolitan areas and they were interviewing black, white, all you know, skin colors. And they were all like, we're not, we don't want that. We do not want we, the police defunded. We need more police. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, and I mean, statistics show that when, whenever you increase the policing in an area of high crime, the crime decreases. And we're seeing the opposite of this as, you know, I think police officers have felt really weighted down by the situation, especially good police officers who have felt stigmatized by mm -hmm. what really corrupt officers have done. And some of them have decided just not to show up to work. Um, uh, there was a lot of call outs, I think, in Atlanta, Chicago, and the death rates, the murder rates, all of that did increase when the police left the area. Mm hmm. Um, so I think if there, if there's a lot to weed through here. Mm. Is there reform that needs to take place in, in police departments across this country? Absolutely. I think there has to be an accountability. Accountability, I think when it yes. It has to be accountability. And I think it starts with us, you know, as a community, making sure that we know who we vote in. And there has to be a system of accountability in those departments, in those individual departments. Um, you know, there has to be training. I mean, we've interviewed, you know, police officers. We have several friends and that's one of the things that they say that they deal with is a lot of mental you know trauma can you imagine working yeah. uh, like a long shift and all you deal with is negativity you know what i mean and you, maybe you know that time every time, time you're going to, to work you know that every time you're going to work it's for a bad situation right and you're putting your life at risk and so i think we have to keep that in mind as well that you know our police officers are you know diving into you know when we're running away from the gunfire they're running in to save people so and i'm not saying that you know this all the systems are you know set and it's it's done by a human being but we definitely don't believe in defunding the police i think if anything, we need to support them even more. Um, and like you said, really shake the system. Yeah. If the conversation was more towards the lines of we need to reallocate the funds within the police departments to better serve the needs of the community. And, and that was what was spoken in the beginning. I think more people, especially people who live in the more moderate lane, I feel like that we're in the middle, like most of the country, who, you know, either they're center right or they're center left. But, you know, when it comes to these extreme positions, it frightens a lot of people. And that's what pushes politicians like Donald Trump to begin talking about law and order. Mm -hmm. And in a lot of ways, it can come off as racist, you know, mm -hmm. because it's in relation to a backdrop of rioting and looting and cities being burned, which is actually happening. Mm. Whether or not the media is showing it to you in the numbers that it's ha it is happening. Now, there are far more uh, peaceful protests that have gone on. Um, and, you know, I've seen some beautiful protests, mm -hmm. um, especially when uh, the George Floyd situation came out and some of the others a beautiful way to let our voice be heard in a, and it was powerful. It was w well spoken. And I think also when it comes to protest, you have to move towards, um, uh, Bishop Jake said it, I was watching something that he was doing online. He said, moving from, from protest to policy. Mm. And you say, what exactly are the policies that need reformed mm. and really addressing the legislation um, and I know what from a Republican side, Senator uh, Tim Scott, who's here in the uh, South Carolina, mm -hmm. which I, I think he's a great senator. He proposed legislation. It, it wasn't passed for, for whatever reason. And, and this is the game that goes on in politics. Right. When one side proposes the legislation, it may not be good enough for the other side or as, you know, firm or radical or whatever but we have to move towards progress but at the same time there is checks and balances i think when it comes to it i think what people need to really realize is that 
the beautiful part of the way our country works is that we do have checks and balances. Yeah. And even though I listened to another person that was talking about, you know, we are so um, concerned that there's so much division. But she said there's actually a beauty in division because we bring different thoughts and ideas to the table. And if we unite, this is when we, you know, it, it becomes really beautiful because we, you know, have to come to the table and have to talk. I mean, it's the same thing with a male and a female, you know, coming together. They're both different individuals because, uh, like she was saying, Eve was taken out of Adam. So there was a division that mm -hmm. came out. But then when they came together, there mm -hmm. was power in that. Right. So it's understanding our uniqueness and bringing the best of us to the table. Um, when it when it comes to this conversation about law and order, just looking at the candidates, obviously Donald Trump is giving a really hard nose position on this issue. And I know that he's speaking to his base. Um I, I hate some of the tone and the tenor of his, you know, of his speeches. And uh, he is definitely not the, the most eloquent of speakers. On the other end, Joe Biden really isn't that eloquent either. I'm not really concerned about Joe Biden. I really f feel like that he is more of a moderate Democrat. And I think that he, he does support the police. But I think that he is being chastened by some of the more radical members of his mm -hmm. party and pressured towards vocalizing, you know, things in a way that he may not have vocalized it in the past. Um, there is the issue as well with Joe Biden in that he was the author of the 94 crime bill, which disproportionately affected um, African-Americans in the United States, of which he regrets. Now, Donald Trump on the other end, um, he has a shorter reputation, you know, or shorter um, history, obviously, just the last four years. But he has done a lot in terms of economic and empowerment for African-Americans. But also, anytime these cities got have gotten out of control, when they've requested support from the federal government, when we send in our National Guard... It got, it got taken care of pretty fairly quickly. Mm -hmm. And I think that the voters see that and they feel that regardless of, you know, what is precipitated, you know, in our communities right now, we can say, well, is Donald Trump the cause or is he part of the cure? And depending on where you get your news from, you could see one side or the other, Yeah, you know, true. but when it comes to Joe Biden, I feel like that he does support police. So I'm not concerned about that. Um, I'm more concerned about his vice president uh, pick, which is Kamala Harris. Mm -hmm. um, I think she is far more radical. She was voted the most uh, progressive or whatever senator in um, in all of the senators um, in the past couple of years. So even further left than, let's say, Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders or Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez or... Ilhan Omar, any of those that we deem as pretty radical on the left, she was voted as even more. And now she's the vice presidential pick. Mm -hmm. And when you look at someone as old as Joe Biden, who is not really who cognitively he, he's declined and it's yeah, it's has. very evident she could very well become the president. And I don't know if I feel comfortable with her making decisions about law and order. Um and even when it comes to her her own uh, community of uh, African-Americans in California, uh, she doesn't have the best of records. It's mm -hmm. very spotty. Mm -hmm. And we could go into the details of that. There's some great things that she did, you know, do, uh, you know, requiring body cams to be worn by police, um, some other elements that I think protect both the citizens and the police officers. So those are good things. But then some other things that she has tried. Um, some petty drug uh, offenses that, you know, in turn imprisoned people um, that I th feel probably should not have gotten as harsh of sentences. So she's got a spotty record there. But when it comes to law and order, people are concerned and people are looking at how firm of a stance these political um, figures are taking on this issue. But I think not only with... Um, the presidential pick with your um, local representatives, you have to be 
um, very aware about what they feel as well. And so that's what the research that you've got to do no matter where you're listening from. Yeah, I agree. We're going to jump into the second part, which is the economy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually looked up because sometimes, you know, when we talk about the word economy, I feel like that people, you know, know kind of what's truly taking place. Um, but I looked up uh, kind of like this definition and basically uh, and how the economy basically forms. So um, economy forms naturally from like aggregated human action a spontaneous order, much like language. Individuals trade with each other to improve their standards of living. Improved standards of living are made possible when labor is more productive. Productivity is driven by specializations, technological innovation, and working capital. The only sustainable way for an economy to grow is through increased productivity. I thought that was kind of really interesting. Take us to economics 101, Victoria. Uh, I mean, <laughs> I, I'm, you know, I was doing my the research myself, but I mean, we definitely got, you know, the way uh, COVID kind of hit, I think it definitely affected the economy, which was, mm-hmm. you know, doing really well and was thriving. Um, but, you know, a lot of people, it set people back because especially in heavy populated cities, there was a major shutdown and there's people that are still on the shutdown, like in California, New York. And that's why you see like a mass migration of people just moving to other states because they're Mm -hmm. like, forget this. I'm going to move somewhere where I can work and provide for my family, you know. And, you know, we as human beings have always been people that uh, are able to be like flexible. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. We always have this, um, you know, at least in most people have this drive to to provide and actually make something good of ourselves and um yeah i think what makes and what makes united states so incredible is that we have so many opportunities you know to start businesses um you know even with some of the heavy regulation that we Mm -hmm. had i know from you know speaking from a um from coming from Ukraine that there's it's a lot harder to start a business because you have to like work so hard just to pay your bills and make ends meet and you have to be very creative with how you get food so there's so much red tape in a lot of countries that kind of de-incentivize innovation and creativity and entrepreneurship yeah and one of the things about the United States which is great is that we've done our best to try to keep those regulations at a minimum. Mm-hmm. And there are need for certain regulations, um, especially when it comes to our food and our roads and some of the kind of standards of living for us all. Mm-hmm. But I think in general, uh, I think lessening those regulations is what encourages not only people within our country to start businesses, but larger companies that may have started overseas to come into our country. Yeah. And I think that that's um, a benefit of what Donald Trump did when he came into office was he lowered uh, some of the regulations that were holding businesses back. And you saw a lot of companies, a lot of uh, car manufacturers who were making plans to go overseas decided to build here in the United States of America. And now you're seeing sort of a micro form of of this happening within the United States as California is highly regulated, overtaxed. Mm-hmm. You have companies like Tesla. Even on the West Coast, you have companies like Boeing uh, coming now to the East Coast, and they want to get away from areas that require more um, red tape to get through in order for their businesses to thrive. And it's not only that, they tax them so much that it's mm-hmm. almost like it doesn't give them an incentive to create jobs or to earn any more because then right. you're taxed so much that it's like you just feel like you're just working to pay taxes. That's yeah. what it feels like for a lot of these people. I feel like this issue um, in looking at Republicans and Democrats is much like the healthcare issue in that um, the main differences is that are, are that you know Republicans really adhere to a free market capitalism as kind of sort of our founding economic found foundation in our country, and I think Democrats are looking for more of what they call a progressive economic agenda, but I don't know if I see it as progressive because it's like a you know, a muted version of socialism. And I know a lot of Democrats hate uh, that phrase, especially moderate Democrats. 
But um, there was this term democratic socialism that emerged out of the party and really wanting things like universal health care, universal education. And I wanted to go over real quick what kind of the differences are in, in definitions between capitalism and socialism and give what our feelings are about both of them. Mm -hmm. And what the problems are. Uh, let's start with capitalism because that's kind of what we're living in right now. Capitalism is an economic, and this is just straight off of Google Dictionary. It's an economic and political system in which a country's trade and industry are controlled by private owners for profit rather than state. Now, the problem with capitalism, if there aren't there, if there aren't any moral foundations that are set within that system then a lot of times you're going to see greed take over. And, you know, basically that means stepping on the heads of whoever and doing whatever means necessary to get ahead. Mm -hmm. But that truly is not the, 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 the meat and bones of capitalism when you look at its origins. Or, and someone like an economist, Adam Smith, who wrote The Wealth of Nations, talking about human potential being kind of the, the, the greatest form of capital um, that we have at our mm -hmm. disposal, meaning how can we incentivize um, the maximization of human potential? How can we empower people to walk in such a way that they believe uh, that, that the work that they're doing is for a greater good? And that's really the root, I believe, of original capitalism. But I think in a lot of ways it has gone astray. Our generation in particular, I think a, a reason why a lot of millennials kind of perk their ears up to these socialism ideologies is because we lived through the age of Enron, uh, corporate corruption, bank bailouts, and we're just sick of it, the corporate greed. And then the people at the top seem to get away scot-free and everyone down the chain of command lost everything. Mm -hmm. Investors lost everything. And um, I, again, I don't believe that they should have been bailed out to begin with. But, um, and I understand the concern when it comes to capitalism, but the true um, origins of capitalism are rooted in some moral and ethical foundation, which I think bring, brings this ideal into proper alignment. Everything has got to have boundaries in some senses, mm -hmm. you know, but really the, with capitalism and, and, and a free market, creating competition in within an industry, I think, pushes people towards excellence innovation, faster mm -hmm. service, better service, mm -hmm. um, doing, uh, able, being able to produce more at a, at a lower cost and, you know, incentivizing small business ownership and entrepreneurship. Um, and yes, there are people that suffer at the bottom of every economy, but even the Bible, Jesus said that the poor will always have with us. Mm -hmm. Now, should we care for the poor? Yes. But I think looking at the Bible as a framework, you know, uh, Jesus, when sending the disciples to John the Baptist, who was in prison, John the Baptist, who baptized Jesus, was doubting about, you know, being imprisoned, saying, are you the son of man of God, or should we look for another? Mm -hmm. Jesus sent his disciples and he, he told them to tell John the Baptist, the blind receive their sight, the lame walk. All of these miracles are taking place and he gets down and the poor have the gospel of the kingdom preached to them. Because at the end of the day, that's what's going to create about change. It's really not about, you know. It's about education, but yeah. not only that, empowerment, which mm -hmm. is the gospel of the kingdom. It mm -hmm. empowers people um, you know, to discover their purpose and walk that purpose out and live more productive lives. And that's what it comes down to an, a, a measure of the economy and how it's doing, whether it's thriving or not, comes down to how productive that economy is. Mm -hmm. And most nations are measured by GDP, um, gross domestic products and what we're, you know, 
what is our our outputs essentially mm-hmm. and how much of the energy the god-given energy that we have been given have we put to good use mm-hmm. and um when it comes to socialism i've seen a big trend of people saying you know even jesus was a socialist and um you know the first church was founded on socialism so what is socialism? First, before we jump into socialism, let me give you a chance, Victoria. Capitalism. How, how do you feel about capitalism? Is our country at a place where we can recover from like the economy downturn because of COVID? Where, where are you at with all of this? Yeah, I mean, I absolutely think that we can definitely recover. I think one of the big things that I do appreciate what Donald Trump did was, you know, incentivized for these bigger companies to stay here locally because, you know, all of this shutdown, you know, now we can't get stuff from China, Mm -hmm. which, I mean, he was right. We do have a big dependency on trying to get things from other countries. And it's scary because whenever we don't incentivize people to, you know, produce goods here in the United States, which actually increases our economy and continues that rotation, um, then they they go find it somewhere else internationally so they could find a cheaper product so that they can sell it to you back and import it back here. Mm. So, you know, I think that it incentivizes people to start businesses because, like you said, there is competition. And um, I, I wouldn't want, like, a you know, a handout because I feel like a handout never works, you know, and that's what I feel like socialism is. And we see a lot of, uh, you know, immigrants that, come from like Venezuela and Cuba Mm -hmm. that supposedly say, you know, uh, you know, they advertise how beautiful it is. But if you go there, it's in ruins. It's in complete ruins because people, they just, they don't have any choice. You have to wait miles and miles in line for gasoline. You have to go to a store that's open only a specific time. They only have one brand of whatever. Um, You know, that's socialism. And uh, again, like we've talked about in previous episodes about healthcare, you know, the quality that's what goes downhill you know what i mean you don't have a choice and do you want that is your choice to be taken away from you so that's kind of what it ends up uh you know coming down to is your government making decisions for you and of course they're going to tax you for Mm -hmm. it and that's exactly what i feel like socialism is is that whatever you work for uh, you know they're going to tax let's say 50 60 percent so that they can offer you that free health care that's going to be crappy mm-hmm. um and other services that supposedly are going to be free but there's no no competition that means the quality of it is going to be hmm. on a downturn yeah and even you know again bringing it back home i think what's best for local economies is that we don't have a major dependency on national companies as much as we do supporting local businesses because yeah uh, and i i feel a trend moving back towards that mm-hmm. and I, i'm i'm predicting you know a, a resurgence of the small business owners we mm-hmm. call them mom and pops but really these are the anchors in our community who provide these services that um, keep our uh, keep our economy alive locally. Yeah, and sure. um, you know we can use technology. It really has enabled everyone to start a business. Anybody can start a business online right now. All you have to mm-hmm. have is a cell phone, right. and that's a good thing. But even when it comes to more of the practical goods, I see a resurgence in farming and lo- local agriculture, and um, even down to kind of the uh, the 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 really necessities of electric plumbing all of that really being uh centralized locally mm-hmm. um and what other you know small businesses retailers merchants all of that and we should support our small businesses yeah. in our communities and um, and it's for our benefit honestly mm-hmm. because it it keeps the rotation of the money in our communities which will cause it to improve you know, there's that incentive for people to do to start their own businesses, but it's also for our own health. Like it's way better to buy produce that's here locally that's because right. most of the stuff that's imported, you know, it's completely green. They'll spray it with pesticides so it looks nice and pretty at the grocery store. Um, 
you know, and so, but it's so bad for our health. And that's why it's so important for us. You know, recently we really started be, being more conscious about where we spend our money. Right. So, and that's what we have to do. We have to really put our money where our, our mouth is. Like we really have to back it up by saying, I am no longer going to support this big old company that takes, you know, their business out internationally, but instead going to choose to, you know, support a mom and pop shop who, you know, is yeah. circulating this money in our economy. Now, and on the other end of the spectrum, I don't think that you and I are like nationalists in the sense of... Yeah, we definitely are not. Well, I think that it's good to have a great working global economy. And we want other countries to embrace these economic ideals as well so that they can continue to thrive. One of the right. things that most uh, socialists or proponents of this ideal talk about are more of like the Nordic Scandinavian countries like Sweden and those countries who they point to as this is a working socialist kind of situations. And it's not in fact a socialist country when you look at kind of how their economy is set up now from a um, humanitarian perspective and taking care of, um, of each other, there is, there are some of those more universal healthcare kind of uh, universal education uh, programs that are enacted. But as far as their economy and trade, it's set up on uh, based on capitalism and a free market, and that's the reason why they're able to thrive. And maybe we can look and say which parts of our life can be given out to the government to control, and which can which should we be able to have, to have control over. Um, and I think that they're just a homogenous country as well, and able to culturally have more unity in terms of how. Um, they live their lives and what's important to them and what they're spending their money on. Yeah. Whereas in the United States, those ideals and values are vastly different from one part of the country to the other one. We're, we're a huge country in comparison to countries like that. And we're such a melting pot of different cultures. So, But really yeah. what we should look at for, for I, examples of socialism are the, you know, like the USSR back in the day, mm -hmm. Cuba, Venezuela, um, Bolivia, some of these other uh, Central American, South American countries. Um, but let's let's talk about socialism. Socialism is defined as a political and economic theory of social organization, which advocates that the means of production, distribution, and exchange should be owned or regulated by the community as a whole. And this is actually a softened version, and it's not owned and regulated by the community as much as it's uh, owned and regulated by the government. Mm -hmm. um, which means that you're giving away the right to own your own land, own your own businesses. In more of a socialist economy, you're going to have more regulations. You're going to have um, more government control of what we do with our resources and our homes. And yes, we may have health care, but what is the quality? What is our taxes going to be? Mm -hmm. And then um, also when it comes to socialism it's promoted as kind of this compassionate humanitarian we are the world campaign and i think that's misleading very yeah because um just even personally dealing with people of need and going back to the bible that says the poor have the gospel preached to them i think that there are certain programs to feed the, the, the poor, mm -hmm. you know, give them the right now resources, but also just being realistic about how far those resources are going to go and how can we help them to change their mindset, connect to economic opportunities and be, and put them into the working machinery of our country so that they become contributing members of society. Right. Um, and that's just a really hard balance uh, to toe. And there's this um, a YouTube uh, channel that came out that I, I will promote. It's called WhatWouldYouSay.org. And they give some really great answers to this when it comes to socialism. And I've heard Christians say, and this is being preached, that Jesus was a socialist. And the original church was built on socialism. And the fact of the matter, looking at the scriptures, this just isn't true. Was Jesus 
a proponent of helping the needy, taking care of widows and orphans in particular, and taking care of the needs of the least of these. Absolutely. But Jesus never advocated that the government would be coerced to help the poor. Mm-hmm. And that when you give, it's not out of, you know, the Bible says give uh, willingly and give with a joyful heart. Mm-hmm. Whenever you're demanded to give your resources to somebody else, just because they're in a different economic state than you are, um, it takes away your personal liberty to be able to make that decision as well as feel that decision And as Christians, we want to take care of the least of these Mm -hmm. and we want to help those in need. But at the same time, we want to give them the gospel of the kingdom. I mean, I I remember that scripture with Peter walking into the gate called beautiful, the city called beautiful. And he saw the layman there begging for money. And he said, silver and gold have have I none, but in the name of Jesus, rise and walk. In many ways, I think when Jesus sent out the 72, he said, don't take a purse, don't take money, don't take anything but the gospel with you. Mm-hmm. Your mission wasn't to go and, you know, just hand out money. And I know that's kind of a reverse of a lot of people use kind of these incentives to preach the gospel, but I don't know how effective that is in the long run. And that's something that can be debated. I think when we go into a community and kind of coerce them to show up with with food and resources and blah 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 it's kind of like a catch 22 it, it it's it's only going to come back around to bite us because you know why couldn't we just give without having there be an ulterior motive that you show up to this service have to sit through x y and z you know and sure there are people who experience salvation in the process but i think the vast majority of people we feel have experienced salvation have gone through the motions and gone out and were never discipled and you know what i mean mm-hmm. what does it really mean to preach the gospel to the poor mm-hmm. right it means educating them with the tools and the strategies they need that are written in the bible jesus cares really more about our hearts than our financial situation. Mm -hmm. And that's the truth. And not only that, just look to the parable of the talents alone when it comes to um, redistributing wealth to the diligent and not the needy. Looking at, you know, the unfairness of the, this man had this 10 talents, this man had however many, and this man over here had one talent and Jesus held them all equally accountable to what they had. Right. He didn't go to the man with one and say, boo-hoo, you had one. Let me go ahead and redistribute this. He re- he distributed the wealth based on their diligence and their obedience and their work ethic. And that is the true definition of capitalism, is that you were rewarded based on your diligence and commitment. Yeah, the Bible even says about, you know, being faithful and little. Um, and I'll make you ruler over much. Yeah. Absolutely. And so whatever you have, whatever you have in your hand, go ahead and put it to use. You know, I have seen people come out of the most incredible situations. We can always sit there and be victims, but that's not what God has called us to. You know, I think that God empowers us to walk in purpose, on purpose, regardless where you're coming from, you know, what your situation is. God wants to empower you so that, you know, you don't get rich, you know, with physical things, which those can come with that. But I love what you teach uh, about, you know, that really finding your purpose, um, if you can get those things right, then you can really, you know, find your way. It's the a, a passion prob- to pursue, pursue, a problem to solve, a people to serve, a people to serve, and a place to do it. Yeah, if you can find those things, and that's what even all to successful... me that's that's the form of pure capitalism right there. Yeah, is that you discover that passion and you want to solve a problem, and none of this equation the, is the incentive is to make a buku Greed. of money. Yeah, no. I mean it says money. We is want the to root... prosper. Money is the root of all evil, but I don't. Well, think... The love of money is. I don't think. Yeah, right. I don't think that money is the problem. I think money can be a vehicle for us to push things forward. But if we have a wrong mindset in the wrong hands, then we can really 
you know, take it out of context and we can climb all over people right. to try to reach certain heights. And we even talked about this, that, you know, uh, everybody has a different uh, definition for success. But what what is uh, a definition of success? You know, mm -hmm. for us as Christians is legacy is, you know, fulfilling, fulfilling your, purpose. your purpose. Because at the end of the day, you know, if you're struggling with health or you're on your deathbed, are you going to carry that money with you? No, you're or not. you're going to think about all the things that you've done, all the memories you've created, the lasting legacy that you've left for your children. That's really what's going to you know matter at the end of the day. So when it comes down to it, I think going down the road towards socialism is just a hop and a skip away from communism. And it, it, the more personal liberties you give away, the more, the easier it is going to be for the government to control our means of production and whether or not you're able to thrive independent from a system. I think that, that we all want to be, have the, enough liberty to pursue a dream and a calling that without being told this is where you have to go this is where you have to work this is how your money is going to be spent that we feel kind of that liberty to pursue our god-given purpose and i think that can capitalism is really if you're looking at these two options on the table uh, capitalism a free market is definitely the way more so than socialism um, I wish I had time to get into the fact that the early church was not built on socialism. They actually did still own land and property, etc. Um, but we don't. One of the other things I wanted to touch on was taxes. Jesus was a proponent of paying taxes, but he also knew that God would provide. He pulled a coin out of a fish's mouth and paid taxes. So Jesus yeah. understood taxes in as much as you and I do. Here's what I don't get. I think people complain a lot about people um, who are over corporations who aren't paying their quote fair share. And the reason why we feel that way is because a lot of them have used the tax codes that are legal and to their advantage, paid the best of accountants, paid the best of tax attorneys to get them out of paying as, as much taxes as they can. And why? Because they... Obviously, there are some that want to prosper financially, and there are greedy people. But a lot of people are dumping that money right back into the business. Mm -hmm. The bigger, the, the more the business the uh, thrives, the more employees they're able to hire, the more people they're able to um, kind of distribute that wealth to down the totem pole. And I think that that's the reason why you see the corporate tax code cut by Republicans. It's just a complete uh, disagreement about how, you know, you can look at someone like Amazon who didn't pay any taxes last year, zero taxes and say, how dare he? But then you could say, how many employees do they have? How mm. much, you know, employee tax are they paying? And that's not an excuse. Here, what I think is the solution. Let's get rid of the big, huge book of tax codes, throw it out the window and create an even tax for all of us, whether it be seven, eight percent or, hey, here's a here's an idea. What about 10 percent? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and whether you are making a hundred dollars, you pay your percent or whether you're making a hundred million, you pay your percent. And that is actually a fair share. It's not like the person making $100 is going to pay more than the person paying $100 million right. because the, there are no loopholes. You pay your 7 8 whatever percent just like the person who made $100. And um, I don't know why that isn't more common knowledge for people to understand. I remember back when uh, the 2016 election was going on and... Ben Carson came out and gave this and I was like, sign me up for that. Let, let, let's create an even playing field. And I bet you how much more taxes would we collect? But, you know, Congress is too uh, busy in 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 their own ways, kind of um, taking money from these corporations to want to do anything like that. So and that's both on the Republican and Democrat side. Mm -hmm. uh, but that's my spiel on the taxes. Let's even it out. Let's fix our tax code and let's make it two pages long instead of books and books and books that nobody can read. You want to be angry about Donald Trump? 
only paying what they claim is $750, he was only following the laws and the rules that were given to us by the people in Congress set before us. So can we blame him? How many of us at the, at the level of our income go to our accountants and say, what can I write off? Right, right. Right. Who wants to pay more taxes than you have to, obviously, but we ab- absolutely need taxes in order to have things like our roads taken care of, our, you know, police force, education, our all of these care. things. Right. Yeah. But then we also got to keep our people accountable and how we're spending this money. Yeah. How frivolous sure. we are with our money. Anyways, that was my soapbox for... <laughs> the economic for me I, I i don't know how going anywhere towards socialism is going to help us i don't know how ta- high taxes is going to help us i'm i'm not uncomfortable with eliminating some of these corporate taxes as long as it compels more businesses to come to the united states which it does but even more so i would enjoy an equal tax across the board mm-hmm. what do you think yeah, I mean, I think you kind of rounded all, all things off. I know I'm. I I speak a lot because Ryan I'm just is very. He's he's very into politics. I'm honestly. I think I'm like anybody else. I'm a little uh, overwhelmed and exhausted with a lot of this policy because that's not something that we, you know, da- dive into every single time. Yeah. So it gets a little exhausting and overwhelming to the point where you don't want to talk about it anymore. But it is very important for us to address those things. So we're knowledgeable as to, you know, who we put in place, especially in our local communities. And we can keep them accountable. Um, I think it's our responsibility to be knowledgeable about it because we don't want it to get to a place where it's too late. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because the Constitution says, you know, we the people and... Uh, it's our responsibility as we the people to uphold these uh, people that work as public servants, um, you know, that they are serving the nation and not sitting over there raking in the money. So, right. yeah. Well, so we've addressed these two issues. We hope that helped you fuel you with some knowledge about how to vote. Please vote. Don't look at the two candidates that are at the top of the, the ballot and say, I don't like either one of them. I'm just going to stay home. This is a right that many people fought for. Yes. And we shouldn't take that for granted. So please vote. Um, we're c- closing out this series and we're going to recap a little bit in the, the next episode. But we're also going to pivot as well into kind of what the true passion of ours is, which is family and mm-hmm. marriage. And we're going to jump back into some conversations about love and parenting and all of that good stuff. So make sure you join us back next week as we continue these needed conversations. Yes, and be sure to subscribe and to uh, give us a review. That would really help us out. Uh, But until next time, we'll see you guys. We'll see you guys next time.